Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Welcome back, squad mates. This is Task Force X, episode 38, The Janus Directive, part one. We're going to cover the first two chapters of The Janus Directive, and we'll be carrying this on for the next uh, three or four months, if I'm not mistaken. Directive, an 11-part adventure from DC Comics, starring Checkmate, Suicide Squad, Captain Adam, Project Peacemaker, The Manhunter, Firestorm, plus several others. Uh, first up, we're going to look at Checkmate number 15, covered in May 1989, on sale was March the 14th, 1989. Cover price was a buck fifty. Editor was Jonathan Peterson. The title of this story was called Night Kill. Writer was Paul Kupperberg. Penciler Steve Irwin. Inker Alvey. Letter Augustine Moss. And colorist was Juliana Freder. This was reprinted in the Suicide Squad: The Janus Directive Trade Paperback, which came out in 2016. And the cover of this issue was done by the marvelous Gil Kane. And also a side note for last month's episode. I said I wasn't sure if the previous issue of I think it was Suicide Squad was actually reprinted in that, and I double-checked after I got done recording, and yeah, the Suicide Squad, the Janus Directive trade paperback starts with, uh, what was it? I think it was the Suicide Squad 26, if I'm not mistaken. Also, as a side note, the Long Box Crusade, episode number 14, which came out February the 22nd of this year, 2018, uh, they've also talked about this at issue, Checkmate 15, and I was on that episode to talk about it, along with a couple other issues, but uh, my buddy Pat had me on there because I'm a Checkmate fan, so definitely if you want to hear someone else's opinion on this, check out, like I said, The Long Box Crusade, episode 14. It's a great show, and that was a great episode. But moving on with this story, the synopsis for this one, Agents Checkmate apprehend Warwick, a hitman, when he arrives in Washington for assignment. They then send Knight Ray Carson to pose as Warwick at a meeting. A mass assassin known as Bishop tries to kill Carson, but he fails. The next day, Carson still disguises Warwick meets with mob boss Crazy Horse Sharpo. Once again, Warwick is targeted by the armored assassin. Carson and Bishop fight on the edge of a pier. During the fight, Bishop is hit by a shell, which causes his armor to catch fire. He jumps into the water and does not resurface. Meanwhile, back at Checkmate headquarters, Amanda Waller brings Bronze Tiger and Bridget Dabo 
of Project Peacemaker to meet Harry Stein. She declares that the entire intelligence community is about to enter a war. Definitely not the end. And now for my thoughts. For the cover of this issue, we start out with our logo checkmate. Below that it says, Who is the man called Bishop? And these books are all formatted similarly. Similarly, uh, On the left-hand edge, it has a number. This one has number one. And along the side, written sideways, it says the Janus Directive to let you know where you're at in the saga. The Suicide Squad book will have number two on there, and so forth. Uh, this issue itself, it's got a red, reddish-orange background. In the foreground, we have a knight in an armored, more armored suit, if you will. And behind him, larger than him, is the man we'll learn is called Bishop. I really like this cover. It tells what's going to happen. Uh, for the most part, the, the, if you look at it as a realistic, in quotes, view, Bishop is much bigger than he actually is in the story. But symbolically, it shows he's a big threat. I do like this way this looks, this costume here. I will get later in the story, we'll talk about Bishop a little bit more and how he looks. But right here, it's kind of reminiscent to me of Vigilante. What this, I've talked about it before. That's what this series is kind of spun out of. So I like the, the and again, maybe just me, but with the mask, where the eyes are, and I don't know, just the layout of the costume. It's kind of like a Vigilante with a robe and a hood and stuff on. I like it. It's a very neat costume here. And this is a great cover. Again, also the on the left-hand side where it says Janus Directive, down at the bottom, this is part one of 11. I'll let you know how long the story's going to go on. Uh, overall, when I think of uh, the Janus Directive, this is one of the covers I think about. And personally, I think this is a great cover. I love it. Moving on to the story itself. As I talked about in the synopsis, we start out with our, our hitman Warwick leaving a party. And here on page, it looks like page two and three. It's a splash page. We got Warwick driving down the street. In front of him stands a knight in his regular costume. I've commented, commented, couldn't say that word for a minute. I commented before how I really love the knight's costume. This is a really nice picture here. Top middle panel. Uh, it's on between two and three. We get the knight just standing there while Warwick's driving. I'm like, what the heck? Some costume is a nut. And so Warwick tries to run him over, which is a bad call because. Again, this is a checkmate knight. He jumps through the front windshield. I love the way that he's, he's crashing through the windshield and attacking Warwick. It's very nice. And I like the detail on here. We can tell that Warwick's going 33 miles an hour down the side streets. We got his radio there. Just it's a lot of detail on this page. And, you know, Warwick's throwing his hands up. What crazy son of a bitch. And the knight comes pummeling through the window. It's a very nice page. I love the layout here. It's just fantastic. I think Steve A. Or Steve, combine the, the two names. Steve Irwin and Al Vey did a fantastic job on here. And Juliana Freder, as usual, does a fantastic job. As I think Jared's mentioned elsewhere, but in my for the G.I. Joe World Work Ahead podcast and over on the Long Box Crusade Network. A lot of people don't give colors a lot of mention, a lot of uh, attention, detail, whatever. So I will give a throw out to Juliana. She does a, a great job on this book all the time. The coloring is perfect, so I just love this page. Uh, moving on, again, the two fight. They crash, and they they heart Warwick away. Again, just a great scene here. Shot like the car crash, the car flipping over, hitting a fire hydrant. It's just a great page. And like here at the bottom of page 
what is this, page four, it looks like. He's talking, and they're loading him in the van, and again, they just crashed because the knight jumped through the guy's windshield and scared the crap out of this Warwick guy. So as they're carting away, they let him up before he wakes up, and the knight's like, well, whatever you do, don't let him drive. <laughs> I just love the humor. And again, it's not like Just League International wah-ha-ha humor, but they have enough humor in here to make it... A, they, they combine, I say they, Paul combines the humor and the the um, the seriousness, the drama of the book very well. You've got just enough humor so it's not just all uh, grab and deadly serious, but it's not a, a laugh-your-butt-off, hilarious, Just League moment. So I think for the book that he's working on, Paul's doing an excellent job with the dialogue and the writing on this. Then we cut to a scene at Coning Industries, Shelby, Virginia, which we knows is the we knows we know is the headquarters for Checkmate. And we get Harry Stein talking with some gal. We find out her name is Valentina. Uh, we'll find out later her name is Valentina. I think her last name is Vostok. She was uh, showing up over in the Vigilante book once again. Paul's pulling a lot of characters from Vigilante into here, and she also was a member of the Doom Patrol. Until recently, she was known as Negative Woman. Uh, she was wrapped in bandages, and she had a, uh, much like Larry Trainer did, she had a, uh, a exo-ghost-type thing that would come out of her, and that was her power. She recently lost those powers. In fact, here on the bottom of page 5, it looks like she makes a reference to that. It says, see recent issues of Doom Patrol. I believe this was right after the invasion this was the crawling from the wreckage. This is when Grant Morrison took over and retired some of the older characters and brought in some of his own. In fact, Paul was writing Doom Patrol right before this. So again, it's perfect. Again, Paul's bringing in characters he's written before. He's written her in Vigilante. He's written her in Doom Patrol. And she shows up here checking out the scenes. And she comments how, you know, easy the, she had to make some adjustments. The easiest of them was getting rid of the bandages. And Harry tells her good to have her in the spy business. That's why, to look, that's why he invited her to look at Checkmate. He was hoping to consider, she'd consider coming to work with him full time. And he said she'll get some thoughts. Just to let you know that this is a setup for later issues. I don't want to spoil it for you, but keep an eye on Valentina. She will, she be, she will be, be, she will be showing up later. Uh, just real quick, a little bit on Valentina Vostok. She first appearance, she first appearance. Her first appearance was in Showcase number 94 back in August of 1977. She was created by Jim Aparo, John State, John Staten, Joe Staten, and of course the illustrious Paul Kupperberg. So it's, it's fantastic, fantastic he's using her here. Well, I really can't speak. Uh, <laughs> but again, uh, after that, let me see, that was a Doom Patrol issue she showed up in. She was a Doom Patrol character. And she was part of the Soviet Air Force, it looks like. Again, reading this off Wikipedia. She was trying to defect to the United States. The plane malfunctioned. And she crashed at the spot where the original Doom Patrol had apparently perished. And she was fused with the negative energy. And that's what I was trying to think of earlier. That formerly inhabited the body of uh, Larry Trainer. That inhabited her. And she became Negative Woman. And she ran with the Doom Patrol for a while. And apparently, and again, I forgot, it's been a while since I read the issues of Doom Patrol, but apparently Negative Man, Larry Trainer was found alive, rescued by the Doom Patrol, and the negative energy abandoned Valentina and returned to Larry. Apparently she had some issues with the Doom Patrol for a while. 
she left there and now she's turning up over here into in the checkmate book so keep watching for her to show up later on also another media she did appear in legends of tomorrow portrayed by a stephanie corsinimas i can't pronounce her last name in an episode entitled white knights and failsafe there's two different episodes she was back when the uh legends of tomorrow back in 1986 she was a soviet scientist employed by sandal savage trying to make a, her their own nuclear man sort of firestorm type after uh, Vandal witnessed Firestorm in action. Uh, again, there she was played by a dark-haired woman because, God forbid, we have any blondes in TV shows or anything, but that's the story entirely. Uh, at the end of the episode, uh, they lose control of the Matrix. The energy released as a nuclear explosion. explosion. Rip Hunter's team escape, but Valstock's status, we don't know what happened with her. So she may show up as a negative woman eventually. I don't know. Also, speaking of a negative woman in the Doom Patrol... There is going to be a Doom Patrol TV show over on the new DC, uh, or they're going to call it for a new streaming service they have. So she may show up over there. We'll have to wait and see. But back to our actual story. I do like here on the bottom of page five where uh, Valentina is talking about her past, about how she left the Doom Patrol. And there's a, a close-up of her face as she's talking about how, as I said, it's the easiest thing to... Uh, adjust to was getting rid of the bandages and there's a close-up of her face and right next to her in uh what i believe the serpents is a picture of negative woman with the negative energy creature leaving her body uh, they're both got their arms out one arm outstretched one behind them she looks like she's running i love the way this panel looks and it's a flashback to a character that no longer exists so that's great and then before we leave this scene uh, harry gets a phone call before he leaves i like this he's telling her, you know i'd like for you to come work for her someday and uh, he gets a phone call, so he has to leave. She's like, sorry, he's, sorry Val, I've got to go. Duty calls, and Val, Valentina's like, of course, Harry, I don't put myself in Washington. But I'll stay in touch. Who knows, perhaps one day I will find myself in your employ. Kid, that's called foreshadowing, all right? Let's move on. So we get Harry down in the briefing room where they talk about Warwick, what's going on with him. I've covered all this in synopsis. I'm not going to go into details on this. Again, just great. I love the the realistic, again, in quotes, artwork on this book. It's very fitting for what it is. Uh, I like Suicide Squad as a more dirty, gritty, darker book, whereas this is a more, in quotes, realistic look. Uh, here on the bottom of page seven, we get our knight disguised as Warwick. He gets a the message handed to him that they're waiting for. He gets in the car and he's pulling off his mask, Mission Impossible style, a rubber mask. I love these these uh, cloak and dagger type stories. It's fantastic. Uh, they find out that the pages are blank. That apparently works being set up. So the knight strips, dressed to his rubber. He's got his knight costume underneath the clothes, and he jumps out of the car. He's the sniper up on the uh, light pole above him, so he shoots. There's a little firefight here. The sniper jumps down, attacks the car that he thinks Warwick is still in. And again, there's a little fight. I like here on the bottom of page nine. The knight jumps onto the side of a garbage truck, climbs over the truck, jumps over to a taxi, and jumps off and attacks the, the mystery man, in quotes, behind. We know from the cover that this is actually Bishop. He jumps off the cab. Now we get our first good look, besides the cover, of our mystery assailant. And he thought the knight was gone off the garbage. He turned around and starts firing. And as I said, I love the way this, this costume looks right here, with the, the blue, or maybe it's black, and red robes. His face is in shadows. It's a very nice look. As they do a little fight fight here, 
the knight pulls the hood off, and we see that he's a giant robot. Or not robot, but a uh, man in an armored suit. That's what I'm looking for. And the guy throws him down, tells him that it's a self-controlled mobile... Let me see what it is. Self-contained armored mobile battle suit. I'm like a man-sized tank than anything else. Uh, the driver jumps out of the car as Bishop shoots a, a rocket at the car, exploding it. I love here on the top of page 12, the car exploding, the, the driver being thrown aside. It's just a great splash panel of the car exploding. And as the knight comes up behind him to try to take him out while he's not paying attention, Bishop just kind of backhands him. He's like, don't be an idiot. Just be faithful that the bishop doesn't kill anyone unless he's well paid for his efforts. Farewell, fool. I like this here at the bottom of page 12. We get Bishop just walking off the night laying there. Oh, he's unconscious or just hurt, but he's just laying like, oh. And then we get, uh, I forget if they said his name, uh, the black guy that was driving the car. Uh, I gotta go back and look. But yeah, he comes limping up. The car's on fire. It's just another great panel. The artwork in this book. As I say, every single episode is magnificent. I love the artwork in here. It's just fantastic. I love it. And then we're back at uh, the Checkmate Safe House on Manhattan's Upper West Side. And we get Mr. O'Connell. We find out his name is, who is our knight, getting bandaged up. And the doctor says it's just a basic bruised ribs and a bump on the head. Again, the uniform saved him from damage as it's meant to do. And again, so Ray O'Connell... Talks about what happened, trying to figure out who the bad guy is. As we just found out on the last page, his name is Bishop, which we kind of found out on the cover. Kind of blew any surprises you may have been expecting there. And so they get figuring out their next steps. Uh, moving on, we get the the mob guys. I'm calling them mob guys. There were something along those lines. They're meeting at a uh, Alberto's Clam Bar on the wharf. One of them goes to the restroom. And we get Warwick, again in quotes, with a gun to one of the guys. We see his bodyguards knocked out in the crapper, as he says. And basically, like I Sharpo, I came here for one purpose, to blow your stinking head off before I get the hell out of the country. Unless you got a reason why I shouldn't. You know, it's just the best one of all, money. Think about it, man. It's going to cost to bury yourself, no matter where you go. How does five million sound? Like you're getting off cheap. But I need the dough. I'll be in touch later to schedule a drop. If you're awake by then, hey, yo, it's Joey Buttafuck over here. I don't know where that accent came from, but... And I, I like here on the page, top of page, look like page 15, as the knight's crawling out the window, again, dressed as Warwick. He's thinking to himself, boy, am I good. I wonder why I ever gave up acting and go into the spy business. <laughs> and so our guys are talking about the safe house. We're going to skip all that. Uh, we get here on page 16 where Warwick, uh, again... In quotes, is a helicopter as he comes flying up. They're at the 59th Street heliports. And we got three guys standing there, one of them holding a briefcase. Warwick tells him, you know, I'm glad you could make it. I wasn't going to chase after you. Put down the money and walk away. So they put the money down. And he's like, it's all yours, Warwick. Have a nice trip. And Warwick, again in quotes, gets out of the helicopter, goes over to pick up the money. And he's like, I guess there was a no-go. Because they're waiting for... Bishop to reappear and take him out. As he takes his mask off, also we see the helicopter's being targeted by a scope. Something blows off the, the tail rotor. The part that goes after the rotor, tail rotor, blows that off. The helicopter goes spinning down. Uh, the tail assembly. 
the pawn, which is flying this, says he can bring her down, but he needs to bail out into the water. Or no, he's going to bail into the... The pilot's going to crash this into the water safely. They said the knight should bail out. So the knight jumps out, and we get our first look at his armored costume here for this episode, or this issue. And again, I, I like the armored look here. I like the regular costume better, but the, the armored look, especially in a situation where they uh, go up against this armored creature bishop, looks really nice. I like the way it looks. A little shield there with the, the knight emblem on it. It's very good, a good art. Very good, very good. Very good artwork. I like the way they show him he's jumps out of the, the helicopter. As the helicopter hits the water, he's jumping out, and we show him kind of flipping in the air. And we show he's like really faint artwork showing him flipping in there and landing. Uh, they come out, Bishop comes out for the uh, fight once again with the knights. Uh, they fight out, they fight a little bit. Bishop rips down part of the building. The knight uses a, a staff he has. It's a that's a new lance that shoots a canister behind Bishop into the building. And like the Bishop's like, I can't believe it. You missed. <laughs> huh? And he turns around as the building collapses on the knights to stand there. No, I didn't. The sun's shining, glinting off his armor. It's a great scene. I love this. And the Bishop just roars about the, the uh, masonry. Enough, damn it. I've had enough of you. And at this point, the, the knight, or Bishop's uh, robes, everything is all torn and burned off of him. So now we're getting a look at Bishop himself, and it's just a giant white armored. As I mentioned on the cover when I was talking about it, I love the way the cover, the, the that costume there looks with the robes and everything. This here, the the costume's a little blank, a little plain. It's just a large white battle armor. Uh, oh, more than just armor, it's like he said, it's a little tank. He's got a flamethrower in there. Again, there's a little fight here in the next couple pages. Again, visually, I love the knight look. I don't care much for Bishop's uh, uncloaked look, if you will. Again, it just looks a little plain, but it, it serves the purpose. But being a superhero fan, I, I would like it if maybe the armor, instead of being all white, had that same color scheme going through it. Uh, there's a little fight. And the knight shoots a shell off, and it goes into the uh, Bishop's costume, it looks like, into his gauntlet. It explodes. He goes up like a Roman candle. Here he's screaming. He falls off into the water. And the knight watches him for two minutes and says, Oh, he's gone. I'm out of here. And here at the very end of this page, page 22, it's like we're looking up, like we're uh, Bishop looking up at the knight, watching him through the water, which maybe tells us that maybe uh, Bishop may be back. Oh, we'll see. I don't remember. It's been... 20, 30 years I read this story, so I don't know. what we'll to wait and see. And then we go on to uh, Harry, uh, Her Her Harvey Bullock watching some videos of Blackthorn we've talked about before. Talking about when she and Checkmate fought against Amanda Waller. She stood up to Amanda. And uh, like this, Harvey is uh, commenting on this, and he's like, they ain't told Harry that he's still keeping in touch with Blackthorn. That's mainly to protect him from his boss, Amanda Waller. The only reason Thorne's still alive is because a little bargain Thorne struck with Waller. Some folks call it blackmail. But I kind of look at life insurance, because the Waller found out I helped Thorne, she'd have my head too. But it was worth it, just see Waller's face. And the phone rings, and he goes marching downstairs before I leave this. I love this panel here, because if this is the first time he picked up this book, uh, we're in Harry, uh, Harvey Bullock's office, 
As I've talked about, Harvey came from the Batman books. He was in the Vigilante book for a while. Now he's here. He's got some posters of Humphrey Bogart, which we've talked about previously. He's a Bogart fan. Just great. You find a little bit about Harvey just this one page here. He's, you know, he's smoking. He's an overweight guy, kind of a slob. His desk's a mess. Uh, but he loves Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> I just love that. And then we end the page with a splash page of Amanda Waller introducing Bronze Tiger from the Suicide Squad and Bridget Dabo from Project Peacemaker connecting all our pieces together. And then we get someone, some black hand, moving chess pieces around saying, let the game begin. I like the fact that Checkmate's a chess thing and it's a chessboard here with all the pieces on it. Great issue. It's continued in Suicide Squad 27. And I forgot to mention at the top of the show that during this time period, uh, Checkmate and Suicide Squad went bi-weekly for the storyline. So when this came out, I think it was out every week at that point because we had Checkmate and then Suicide Squad and then Checkmate. So yeah, so yeah I think it was like a weekly comic at that point. Also, for completeness sake, I do have to say I've been thinking about it quite a bit. I'm doing a, ta- a Suicide Squad Checkmate podcast. I talk about Checkmate on a, a monthly basis. And something came to me as I've been doing this podcast. I think Checkmate would be a really good TV show. Uh, kind of like an answer to Marvel's uh, ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> that's a throwback to the Longbox Crusade episode I talked about earlier. Uh, to find out what that's about and why I'm laughing at it, go check out that episode. So, anyways, that's enough about this issue. Let's go take a quick break, and we'll come right back with Suicide Squad. We'll be back with much more fun. Now, don't you change that channel, son. In the annals of television history, there are TV shows and characters that changed our culture and helped define generations. These are not those shows. It's time to close up the bar, leave the war, and quit your yuppie whining so you can step on board the Enterprise D, run alongside the Hoff, stop time with your fingers, and introduce your family to the Voice Input Child Identicate. Because this summer, Pop Culture Affidavit is taking you to the depths of 80s and 90s television with... It came from syndication! For seven weeks, I'll be taking a look at a variety of syndicated TV genres, from the lauded science fiction of Star Trek The Next Generation to the... This was a show? Of Small Wonder. Along the way, we'll battle with the Thundercats, run through the funhouse, give thumbs up at the movies, and have a very current affair. Pop Culture Affidavit presents... It came from syndication! Coming July 11th to popcultureaffidavit.com and two true freaks.com. It began with the origin of his comic book fandom. This is the very first comic book I have ever read, and also ignited the spark of my comic book collecting over the course of a 1974 weekend. Professor Zoom Yukinori led an ongoing expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. Balance of Power. Have Horse? 
will fly. Solomon Grundy wins on a Monday. Superman's unbeatable rival. Green Lantern, master criminal of the 25th century. With unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts. Call me Terror Man. Solomon Grundy am co-host this time. I am Lanos, the, the lexical archive of minutia, minutia expositions, and, and origins. Goodbye, me and Bizarro. I am Libra. This is Aya from the Green Lantern. It is I, the Reverse Flash. Which had ended with the destruction of the universe. Or... Has it? Warrant under ration, are we? I regret to say that you are my prisoner. Without our interspatial time conveyor, we are all essentially trapped here. Can't summon the willpower necessary for my power ring to pull me free. For nearly two decades, I had carried her ghost within my heart. Experience the wonder. Great wings of mercury! <laughs> of an all-new season. Solomon Grundy, a fat little pointy-eared man before. Let us get back to the story, shall we? Down, down, and approach. Of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Allow me, Entity Terra Man. That does it. Ain't messing with no timelines ever again. Here we go back to the show. That's the fact, so now you know. Welcome back, squad mates. Hope you enjoyed those promos. Uh, next up, we're going to look at the second part of the Janus Directive. This was in Suicide Squad 27. Cover date was 1989. That's right, just the year of 1989. On sale date was March the 21st of 1989. I've got it from reliable, somewhat reliable sources. The reason these were covered in is just as a year instead of months. I believe that falls under the same thing I've heard about previously. Uh, at one time, comics were dated like two, three months ahead because the date on the book indicated how long it would be left on the shelf. So comic companies started putting further and further dates on it so their books would be left on the shelf longer. Well... Around this time frame, it got more into the direct market, and so they wanted to kind of even those book up just a little bit more. So I've heard that's why a lot of these titles around this time frame had just years or like a season on it, because they were trying to bring those dates more in line without just abruptly changing it. Anyways, this was on sale March the 21st of 1989. The cover price was $1, edited by Robert Greenberger, Title was called Scatter Move. Written by both John Oshinger and Kim Yell. Penciled by John K. Snyder III. Inker was Pablo Marcos. Letterer Todd Klein. Colorist Carl Gafford. The cover was done by Carl Kessel. Or Kiesel. I've heard of both ways. Uh, this was reprinted in Suicide Squad and the Janus Directive trade paperback, which came out in 2016, which I've recently purchased, as I've talked about before, from In Stock Trades. That's a good website. Anyways, the synopsis for this issue, Amanda Waller holds a meeting with the team, leaders of Checkmate, the Suicide Squad, and Project Peacemaker. She reveals information concerning conspiracy in the intelligence community called the Janus Directive. 
She then orders a preemptive strike against the rival organizations. She dispatches the Suicide Squad to attack the Force of July. Meanwhile, Checkmate and Peacemaker are to go after the leaders of the Captain Adam Project. The Suicide Squad heads to the California state of Abraham Lincoln Carlisle to attack the Force of July. Punch and Julie are given a secondary task of obtaining the Medusa mask that once belonged to the Psycho Pirate. Although the mission does not go according to plan, as usual, the team achieves its goals. Carlisle is killed, and the members of the Force of July are defeated. Elsewhere, Checkmate captures Heinrich Miguela, I always pronounce it, and believes that Pacemaker has killed Wade Elling during the abduction. Again, these synopsis and the credits all comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thanks, Mike. Now, as usual, we will start with the cover as I do my thoughts. Again, this is the Janus Directive Part 2. I know this because, well, the second one I'm covering, plus on the left-hand side, we have that nifty trade dress. Again, it looks like the page has been ripped. It says 2, and then on the sideways written is the Janus Directive, Part 2 of 11. The main cover itself, we show Duchess holding up one of the members of the Force of July, and she's standing on the, the bodies of the rest of the Force of July and Suicide Squad. I don't remember all the Force of July guys' names, so I can't nail them off, but we see Punch and Julie. We see Captain Boomerang, Bronze Tiger, along with a couple members of the Force of July. It says First Blood. Duchess has this, this triumphant look on her face. I really like this cover. In fact, I think I like this one better than the last issue. This is a great cover. It shows, you know, Duchess getting her own. She's holding up, you know, it looks like from the cover that she maybe defeats everybody. As we find out, not quite true, but it's a very good cover. I like this cover. It's very nice. Moving on to the story itself, we start on the first page. We get a shot of Amanda Waller with uh, guys from Project Peacemaker and Bronze Tiger and Harry Stein. I think it's Harry. And Harry Bullock sitting there while she's talking. We get a little note here saying that these events follow immediately on the close of Checkmate 15, now on sale. Robert Lundum Greenberger. I always love when they give little boxes indicating what you should read first, especially in a big story like this. It helps out immensely. Uh, on the screen behind Amanda, we see Captain Adam, Major Force, General Ailing, Miguela, and uh, I forget his name, but it's uh, Miguela's assistant, bodyguard. I forget his name. Anyways, uh, nicely done page. Our usual suspects are nicely done. Captain Adam and Major Force, a little rough. I don't, I don't want to discount the guest finisher of Pablo's Marcos, but or I don't know if it was the, the artist, John K. Snyder, one of the two, uh, didn't do a great job on, like say, Captain Adam and Major Force. But everything else looks good, looks on on specs, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and again, I'm not sure if that's... We'll find on the next page. Yeah, I think that is supposed to be Harry Stein there. Again, he looks a little bigger than he should be. Uh, moving on to the second page. Again, I'm not going to do this page by page, but as we're starting out here. As I said earlier, they're, most of them are pretty much on spec. Harry and Harvey look a little off to me. Uh, it's not horrible, but yeah, they're very, very bulky, very boxy. Uh, Harry Stein, if you read Checkmate, not 
as big as they make them drawn in here. I, I don't, again, it's a new artist, so you got to give him a little, little leeway. He doesn't normally draw Harry and Harvey, so a little leeway there. Uh, again, Amanda Waller, she looks big and imposing. He, he's got a thing for when I'm seeing drawing a lot of these characters very big and bulky. Even the ones that shouldn't be. Like, say, like Harvey. And, well, Harvey's big, but he, he's more square here. And Harry Stein's really off, off model. But, again, it's not horrible, but it's not... Uh, if I was at her, I'd ask him to maybe take another pass at Harry Stein. So this is what he looks like. Draw him like this. But that's just me. And again, I like, as Harry's complaining here to Amanda how, you know, they're, they're getting each other's ways, like, damn straight, there better be a good reason. As if we aren't stepping on each other's toes now, it's getting to when a night in the field sneezes, some caution jerk turns around and says, height. <laughs> and Amanda's like, that's what this being's about, Harry. And you're on thin ice with that crack out the squad. And again, they get a little bickering back and forth because, again, they don't get along very well with each other. Uh, then we hear on page two, we do show Amanda talking about the 4th of July. It shows that it's a it's another government metahuman group empowered to conduct covert missions. Unlike Project Adam, they have no military affiliation or backing. So basically, you got two rival agencies vying with the Suicide Squad and Checkmate for control and power. And she has just gotten worse. She discovered something called a Janus Directive. Those of you hip on your Roman mythology, remember Janus was a two-faced god. And one of these two agencies is also two-faced. So again, her sources tells her that either the Force of July or Project Adam, or that Adam Project, is intending to go to war with Task Force X. And Amanda... Being Amanda doesn't sit around and wait for things to happen. She pushes things and she she attacks first. That's very much Amanda Waller. I mean, this is John Ostinger and Kim Yell. John basically created Amanda, so he's got the character down. He knows what he's doing. I love Josh, John Ostinger's writing. Kim Yell did a fantastic job. I've got no problem with the story in this. Again, my my issues. And again, it's not a big issue. It's nitpicks. I'm picking these little nits. Pick, 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 pick. But yeah, I don't like the way they draw Harry in here. They draw him too big and bulky. Harvey's fine for the most part because he is a bigger guy. So again, Amanda lays out the uh, mission to the teams. And I like this here on page. I said I'm not going to go this through page by page, but I am so far. <laughs> page three, middle of the page. Amanda's talking to Bronze Tiger, saying that, you know, the squad's going to attack the 4th of July. They're going to take out Abraham Lincoln Carlisle. And they're going to get the... Uh, she wants the mask from them. She doesn't hear my body counts. And Ben's like, you tell me I should kill the entire Force of July. You do what you do. Knock the front door, ask him quietly. And she's like, Bronze Tiger's like, what I want to know is where you found out the Jazz Directive and how accurate this information is. And then we get a close look of Amanda being Amanda you know what? All you need to know is that I evaluate this information. I find it accurate, so you just shut up and do your job. <laughs> if you don't like it, you just quit. Bronsager looks at her, just just stops away. And again, I like here on page. Again, I'm not going page by page, but I am. On page four, as Bronsager kind of stomps away, and Amanda keeps talking with the rest of the team. Bronsager's, you know, he's like, "You may give me orders, but I plan on interpreting them the best as I can." 
And then we get Harry Stein and Harvey walking away, and Har- Harry says there's something bogus about the whole thing. He wants to check it out further. And Harry, I'm sorry, Harvey, I always get those two mixed up. Har- the names, at least. Harvey says they should have Blackthorn on it. I mean, she's not actually a part of them. She could do it on the side. You never know. And Har- Harry tells him to contact Valentina Vostok also, who we just talked about just a few minutes ago over on the Checkmate book. And once I'm looking to it further, he, again, he's not wanting painting knights in the line of danger just on Amanda's maybe faulty info. And then we move on a little bit further. And then we get Bronze Tiger talking to the Checkmate team. Or I'm sorry, the Checkmate team. The Suicide Squad team. And again, it's, it's a usual scene for these guys. We got Bronze Tiger at the front. He's got a slide projector. And then the crowd, we got a bunch of the, the Suicide Squad members just sitting around in different spots. Bronze Tiger shows them that they're going after the uh, Carlisle house. And they're, besides taking out the Force of July, they're looking for something called the Medusa Mask. That Punch and Julie's going to take on, as I talked about. And then here on page 7, see I skipped ahead a couple pages. Page 7, again, we get our layout of all the team members. As Bronze Tiger's laying out who goes against who. We get uh, Captain Boomerang talking to Dr. Light. And as the teams either listening, not paying attention, or ridiculing each other, we get the captions saying what Bronze Tiger's saying. So in one caption, he says that Silent Majority goes to Dr. Light, while Sparker goes to Boomerang. And at this point, Boomerang's leaning over Dr. Light saying, Ooh, close call, mate. You almost got the kid. Dr. Light's calling Hunter, shut up. As we talked about previously, when he first joined, he said he doesn't fight kids. As I think we've talked about here, and I believe over on uh, Ryan's Secret Origins podcast, when I joined him to talk about Dr. Light, Dr. Light's origin, we talked a little bit about how Dr. Light first went against the Just League of America. They kind of defeated him, and then he started going up against the Teen Titans, the Boy Bugle, the, the Blue Boys, or whatever it is. Forget any of that team. But he took a bunch of kids, and they whooped his butt. So he kind of has this thing about not wanting to go against kids. Later on, again, spoilers for a future story that I'm not going to be covering here. But later on, we find out in the uh, Identity Crisis storyline that apparently, kind of as a retcon, he was mind-wiped after he fought the Just League. And they gave him to the Teen Titans to kind of practice on, if you will. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that story still about some of those aspects, but that's not for this co- podcast. That's for another podcast someone else is doing, I'm sure. But yeah, so I like the way they're, they're tying in Dr. Light and his past and his 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 uh, problem fighting kids. And they go on. He says Carlisle, who's the main guy, follows the Ravon. And again, like, he's like, Carlisle follows the Ravon. Alive, Ravon, please. Mayflower's powers over vegetation will be best counted by Count Vertigo. Again, Vertigo's like, I am pitted against a lunatic bondist. Bah! Lady Liberty has a torch that channels energy, malignant powers. Shades invest in its force field, should be able to handle her best. Major Victory, and that's the guy on the cover, I, was, I couldn't think of his name that uh, Duchess is holding up, is Major Victory. Major Victory is the team leader, and the strongest, toughest member. Duchess will take care of him. And again, while he's talking, Punch and Julie's kind of playing around with each other there on the side, and Vixen's just sitting there listening. And then he says him and Vixen's going to oversee and lend support where needed. He's like, any questions? <laughs> boomerang's tossing one of his boomerangs around going, 
Yeah, where's the wall? This is a killing mission? He's like, she's off of Washington. You want that smirk off your face, Harkness. The wall concerns the recovery of the mask Paramount. She's authorized any and all expenditures and force necessary to get it. Final word, they may look silly, but the Force of July are fanatics who believe they act for the good of this country, and that makes them dangerous in combat. And so he tells them to get ready to leave. And then we see Flo coming up the bend, telling them that, you know, she's talked to Oracle and asked about what well, she's heard about or, uh, Janice Directive. And or- she says Oracle hasn't heard anything about it. That, again, Oracle is their information broker, and she knows absolutely zero, as Flo says, about the Janice Directive. And like this, she's like, uh, let me see. Oracle has heard nothing, Ben. Oracle wants to know where the wall got her information because there's absolutely zero out there according to he, she, it. Because, <laughs> again, at this point, they don't know who Oracle is. They don't know the sex or anything about Oracle other than it's a computer. A person on the computer that talks to them. So, And so, you know, he tells Flo he owes her one. Thanks a lot. And she's like, yeah, you better believe you do. And one of these days, I am going to collect. Because we've talked about before. Flo has a little bit of a, uh, a fixation, a crush, something. She thinks she's in love with Ben Turner, a.k.a. Bronze Tiger. And Bren's just got... Bren? Ben just has eyes for Mari. So, I like this look here on the bottom of page eight. She's looking. She's like, hey, I'm going to get a piece of that. <laughs> and here on page nine, the team goes into combat. Again, I like how... In the middle of the page here, we get just like a kind of a close-up of them in shadows. And then we get the team leaping into action. It's a great scene. Again, the artist did a fantastic job showing them leaping into action. Duchess and Vixen are both hot. But that's another story entirely. As Vixen rushes in, again, they're... As I forget who it was, some famous general or someone says, you know, the best laid plans go to hell once you enter a battle situation. Uh... The one that controls plants. I forget their name. Again, I can never remember the Fortress of Light characters offhand. But she attacks Vixen with her vines. And I, I love Vixen when she uses her power. Same with Animal Man. We get like a... Uh, and I believe this is, again, as I've talked about before. I believe this is a version of Serpent that they use in Who's Who. We show the elephant. She's snapping out of the vines. Then we get Punch and Julie breaking in. And they're like... Punch is like, you know what? Love, this would look very good in our apartment. Naughty, naughty, we're supposed to be stealing a mask. No one said we can't do both. Let's take a look around. There's plenty of loot around here. And then Captain Boomerang comes up and he meets, I believe this is Silent Majority. He's able to, kind of like multiplex, split off into multiple people, and he just beats the living tar out of Boomerang. And I like this. So as Boomerang comes up, he's like, Good day, come to Barney or Blather. And all of a sudden, Silent Majority just splits off into multiple people and this look on Boomerang's face. Strife. It's truth. How do you pronounce it? As he gets the living crap beat out of him. And then we get uh, Major Force standing there. I can't see this is behind him. But he says, you know, that they're expecting an attack tonight. They've got some information. And again, so they know that the Suicide Squad's coming for them soon. And Bronx Tiger makes a note here. That he's, there's been a leak. We've walked into a trap. As him, and it looks like Ravon is watching uh, Major Victory. Then we get back to Punch and Julie, still going inside the house, tossing things aside, like, I don't want this. And like here on page 12, 
we get Dr. Light, or Doc, yeah, Dr. Light. He's looks like maybe he's flying, falling. I'm not sure what he, I think maybe he's jumping from a tree. I'm not sure. He's like, he's in midair. He's like, let's see. I think they said this was his bedroom window. And all of a sudden, lights start going off. We get this, the kid saying, hey, creep, what are you? Some kind of pervert picking windows like that? Probably wimp, too. Call me traitor wimp. And Dr. White's just like in panic. He's like, I told them no kids. Because again, as we talked about, he, he's got this problem with kids. So I believe this is a sparkler. Because again, he's setting off sparklers, it looks like. And he's a kid. So uh, it's very nice that they got this kids come and fight Dr. Light, who gives him a bit of a problem. <laughs> and then I'm back to page by page. Here we get... Uh, Duchess coming up against Major Victory. Well, well, just the man I was looking for. Major Victory's like, were you? Were you made out to be Bimbo? Rambet? Because, <laughs> again, this came out in the late 80s. Uh, Rambo was very much part of the culture at this point, so I like the reference to Rambo there. He's like, Major Victory's like, hey, listen, if you're so tough, why not try to go a little one-on-one? Like, Might make it interesting at that. Just knocks the tar out of him. He's like, what? Not bad. He gets up, kind of does that martial arts thing where he gets up and wipes his chin like, hmm, not bad, but not good enough. I got your measure now, Amazon. He comes up and just punches her back. Here's my version of the ERA, bimbo. He just knocks her back. Stand up, please. I haven't begun to pay what I owe you and your kind. So I, I don't, I'm not familiar with Major Victory's origins and past. I remember him showing up in The Outsiders, I believe. And he seems to think she's an Amazon, which I know she's not, and you guys may know who she is at this point. I'm not sure. I've been trying to keep that out of my comments. But it seems like he's got something with Amazons. And then as he's facing her down, we, you know, get ready to punch her again, Bronze Tiger just attacks him from behind. And uh, so he's like, stand up, please. This is a major victory. Stand up, please. I haven't begun to pay what I owe you and your kind. And Bronze Tiger kicks him from behind. Nor what I owe you and yours. And Dutch is like, Worm, how dare you? This was my fight. I didn't need any help next time you stay out of it. And Bronze Tiger just looks her square in the eye and he's like, Whatever you say, Lashina. And Duchess walks off. Don't know what you're talking about. So Ben kind of gives away here. I mean, there's been hints here and there that something's going on with her. Back in Suicide Squad episode three, which I covered oh so long ago. And I'm going back to that issue real quick. Near the end of the story, this is when the female Furies attack the Suicide Squad headquarters trying to free Glorious Godfrey. Godfrey? Godfrey? Godfrey. And who was it? Bernadette? Bernadette? And... Lashina kind of had like a little infighting. Burndeath tries to betray Lashina. And there's, there's the portal closed we see. It looks like someone's getting fried is what it looks like. The squad, the squad members, not squad members, but the uh, support team, along with Rick, are firing guns into the, the boom tube. And we see one body go, ah, kind of fly away. And then on the outside, we see uh, something lands outside the fence. So this has been going on since Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad number three. And here we are up on issue 27. 
So it's been going on quite a while. And then she showed up, I believe, in Suicide Squad 10. No, it wasn't 10. 9. And I'm scrolling through, looking through. I guess I should have done this beforehand. But Lashina, a.k.a. Duchess, shows up in Suicide Squad number 9 when (laughs) Boomerang tricked Slipknot into trying to escape and he got his arm blown off. And Lashina shows up. I think it was nine. I'm looking right now to see because I can't remember offhand which issue it was. It was a nine when he got his arm blown off. Anyway, somewhere around there, Lashina shows up actually as Duchess. So it must have been nine because we see Duchess in ten. And so as I'm talking to you guys, I'm looking through these issues trying to figure this out over the over the air. I know this is great podcasting, but yeah, nines when uh, Slipknot gets his arm blown off. There it is. Page 11 of issue 9. Duchess shows up. So, since issue 9, we've had Duchess floating around. There's been some hints here and there. Something's going on with her. Uh, Waller said that, you know, she knows something's going on with her. That she, she has memories she's not telling us about. But here it's set out in the open so I can stop trying not to say her name. <laughs> that Bronze Tiger lets her know that he knows that she's Dutch or Lashina from the uh, female or the female Furies with a grain of goodness. Again, that's on page 14. That's a great page. And she just walks away. Yeah, what you're talking about? You're crazy. <laughs> but again, so the secret's kind of out now, so. And then we count Vertigo going off against Lady Liberty, I believe this is. The one that has, she has a, uh, a torch. She's dressed up like Statue of Liberty. And they do a little fighting. And uh, she's like, but I like raising my hand against imposters and hypocrites. He's like, I, an imposter? Strumpet! He just knocks her out with his Vertigo powers. Harlot, insult my royal person. Debase my noble title. He just kicks the stuffing out of her. And then on page 16, we get uh, Shade, the Changing Man, who was supposed to have gone up against this gal with the torch, but things didn't work out. And again, as he's walking through the, through this, this, uh, the property, he's all thinking, I find this entire mission entirely questionable. Maybe I should try finding another way of getting back to Meta. Because <laughs> again, he promised to help out Amanda of the Suicide Squad if they would help him return home to Meta. The dimension of the world he's from. And then we had Abraham Lincoln Carlisle. And he comes up and he's got the Medusa mask. And the Medusa mask, if you're not familiar with it, the Psycho Pirate uses it. And, and when he wears the mask, he can transfer his emotions that he's currently feeling onto other people. So again, like he's like, give me liberty or give me death. Preferably your death. And he pulls the mask off and submits, uh, gives fear towards the Changing Man shade. And again, uh, Carlisle says, I had the Medusa mask from the Psycho Pirates. I learned how to use it by watching them. And again, it basically gives a description of what I just told you about. And we get a little editor's note here, which, again, I love these editor's notes. It says, the mask was last seen in Infinity Inc. Special number one. Psycho Pirate was last seen in Animal Man number 10. Um, Animal Man number 10. Animal Man was a great series. At least the first two years or so, I really loved it. 
And after that, it started to get a little weird, and then it got a lot weird, and I didn't enjoy it as much. I plan on covering Animal Man somewhere in the future, either on Head Speaks, or maybe I'll start an Animal Man podcast at some point. I haven't quite decided. Uh, I'm currently podcasting out. I mean, I've got the majority of podcasts I can do right now, but not all my podcasts are, in, are, are definite or indefinite. They're not continuing on for a long period of time. So maybe when I stop the Starman Manhunter, when I finally wrap those up, maybe I'll start Animal Man then. Or over on Head Speaks, I'm doing the currently the Armageddon 2001 podcast, or Ish Comics. Once I get enough that, I'm going to cover The Power of the Atom. It was an 18-issue series. So somewhere I'm going to cover Animal Man, because I love that series. I just haven't decided how and where yet. So keep watching for further news on that. But this is back to Task Force X. So again, we get Carlisle uh, using fear onto Shade, which uh, he was trying to make Shade scared and run away. Uh, He he should have studied up on his uh, enemies a little bit more. (laughs) When he put that fear onto Shade, the MVS activated, and it it projected a big weird guy kind of attacking Carlisle. And Carlisle has a heart attack and dies. Here <laughs> at the bottom of page 17, Shade's like, Sorry, friend. I sur- survived the Zero Zone's area of madness. I've dealt with fear of this. This was nothing. And then we get back to... I forget the gal's name that controls plants. Taxing, taxing? Attacking Vixen. And as she's attacking him, Ravon comes up and chokes the living crap out of her. Kills her. And again, a thousand more years to Kali. And then we get back to Silent Majority beating the snot, as I talked about earlier, out of uh, Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang is getting beat the tar out. He's like, oh, bloody hell, I can't die this way. It's too bloody embarrassing. And my apologies to Paul Paul Hicks and Mike Garvey from the Waiting for Doom podcast with my terrible, horrible Australian accent, but that's the way I do. And then we get Punch and Julie showing up. And again, we get Punch and Julie. I'm not sure which one this is. It must be Punch because he's controlling with, he's got some sort of power that allows him to shoot beams out of his hand that controls the silent majority like marionettes. It's like, woohoo, you guys look just like me. I bet you're trying to steal my soul. I'm going to hit you. Take that, daddy. Just fights his baby talk as he's making them beat each other up. And then. We get uh, Julie's like, Wow, here comes the fighter plane to get him. And Punch jumps down. He's like, Fire planes that use laser burst don't go, And Julie's like, Mine does this experimental fire plane. Again, I love the dialogue, the, the, the uh, back and forth between Punch and Julie. They're a great team. I, I love them. I haven't read any of their older stuff back in the Charlton days. I believe they were Charlton characters. But it's just, I love their, their big, not bickering, but their, their back and forth between each other. It's fantastic. And Boomerang in clear Captain Boomerang fashion is like, took your own sweet time getting here, didn't you? And I'm like, well, we couldn't find the mask. We decided to look for you guys. And Julie walked away. I'd forget about him, Punch. If Captain Boomerang's going to take that attitude next time, he needs to get himself beaten to death. See if I care. Punch is like, Julie, don't go away mad. Julie! And Boomerang's like, bleeding yuppies. 
<laughs> I love this page here on the bottom of 19. His boomerang is just beat the snot and back. He's like, gloves are torn. He's like, oh, bloody nose. Fantastic. And here on page 20, again, we get Sparkler fighting against Dr. Light. And Dr. Light's running as uh, Sparkler's, you know, throwing Sparkler's at him. And Sparkler's just giving him all kinds of crap. I bet you'd wet your lid, charge you had to fight major victory. And Dr. Light, he's a, a villain, but he is one of our main characters in this book at this point. So we have to give it up for him a little bit. He just has enough of this kid's nonsense. He's like saying, no, I will not be let myself, I will not myself, try that again. No, I won't let myself be beaten by a child again. I won't. He just lets a massive burst of energy at the kid. I won't. And just blasts the hole right through him as the kid dies. He's like, I beat you. I beat you. And then we bronze tiger comes up. A small victory, doctor. Yes, a swell victory all around. No, he's a swell victory, doctor. Yeah, swell victory all around. We're done here. Let's get out of here. And so as they leave, we cut over to the Adam Project where we get Miguela and his buddy. I forget the guy's name. And we get, uh, who is this? General Ealing, Eileen, who showed up over on The Flash a couple of seasons ago. Played by Clancy Brown. It was fantastic. But there's their, their mountain retreat. Again, a little... Uh, Narrative here, a little uh, expeditious little news network type stuff. Yeah, I don't know how or where the jazz directive stuff comes from. We're treating the threat as real. And at this point, Peacemaker comes up, just blows him to hell and back. Alien goes flying over the side. <laughs> Again, I like this. The uh, I'm just looking, I'm going back here. I don't see the night. Oh, there it is. I'm, I missed that. So as Elling, he's looking outside, yelling, you know, he believes they're about ready to be attacked. One of the checkmate knights, which you can't really see a good, good glimpse at him. I've talked about every episode. How I love their costume. You can't really see it here. He grabs Elling from behind. At that point, Peacemaker, who's kind of like a vigilante type character, or Punisher character. Vigilante is DC's answer to the Punisher. And as I've said elsewhere, Wild Dog is the report to that. But that's another story entirely. Peacemaker is another. It's a Charlton's answer to the Punisher, who DC bought. He comes up and just blasts the hell out of him. The knight's laying there on top of Miguel. He's like, damn, Peacemaker, there's supposed to be a covert mission. And Peacemaker's like, it still is. We have Miguel, the other's dead. Who's to know? And generally, he's like, I'm not dead. And I know you, jerk. And I swear to you, I'm going to find out who you guys are and who sent you. And I'm going to know your collective butts in the cemetery wall. My only problem, again, great issue. I love this. But my only problem, again, in quotes with this, is that... They're talking on the radios back and forth. Elling, Elling, I can't, always have problems pronouncing his name, is down at the bottom of the cliff. It's, in fact, this house looks a little bit like, uh, a little bit like Tony Stark in Iron Man 3. It's on a cliff, but instead of over an ocean, it's, uh, it looks like it's in front of a forest. But so we got Peacemaker and Checkmate talking on their, Checkmate, in the night talking on their mics back and forth. General Ailing's down at the very bottom, survived to fall. It's, it's comic books. They're they're superhero type characters, so I can I can I can see Ailing surviving that fall because it's 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 what it is. 
I that's the only problem I have in this book is he survived this fall. I'll give you that. There's got to be some gift, some suspension to disbelief. But these two are communicating over their communicators, and Ellie seems to hear that because, or maybe he doesn't hear it. Maybe he's just he's like, I'm not dead, you jerk. And it just happens to coincide with what he's saying, but it just comes across almost like you heard him because he's like, I'm, we have Miguel and those are dead. Who's to know? And his immediately he's like, I'm not dead, and I know you, jerk. So again, that's my only real problem is it seems like Elling heard them, but he's far away. They're communicating. It's not like he's over a loudspeaker. I don't think. Maybe he is yelling through a loudspeaker. I'm not quite sure on that. Because we see the night on a radio, so I would assume they're on a radio's back and forth. And again, I'm spending a lot of time on this one last page, but that's my... Besides some of the earlier artwork gaffes and goofs and not-quite-rightness, the rest of it's fantastic. Again, I didn't stop anywhere else along the way to complain about any of the art because I thought the rest of it was on par It was as it should be. It's just the writing here at the very end is a little... I'm not quite sure what's going on. I'm not sure if, if it's just one of those things where... Peacemaker saying one thing and Ealing has no idea what he's saying and replying to it or if he's able to hear him. That's my little qualm with this. And then as I talked about earlier in the episode, this is a, basically both books are going bi-weekly. So next week, the Janet Directive continues in checkmate number 16. Guest starring Major Force, Lois Lane, and Black Thorn. Then in two weeks, Suicide Squad 28, the hand behind the Janet Directive revealed. <laughs> And then the suicide notes this episode, or for this issue, they talk about Suicide Squad, and they also talk a little bit about the Deadshot miniseries and the Suicide Squad annual. Oh, yeah, I care about the Suicide Squad annual. That was with the uh, Argent and Manhunter showing up. Yeah, I covered that. So, anyways, again, not much to talk about in the letter column. Uncle Elvis, again, a letter hack from the time period, was... Uh, he wrote in, He again, he was a major, uh, very big letter hack. Also, there was a letter here from a Jacob Gilbert in Troy, New York. Uh, talking about the Action Comics Weekly, The Secret Six, kind of reminds of Mission Impossible. And The Suicide Squad reminds of another 60s series, Garrison's Gorillas. Never heard about it, but anyways. And there's another here from a George Gustines in New York, New York. Talking about, I'm uh, just going through here real quick. Uh, and then if his Larry says, now for quest time, how about a crossover story with all the government operatives? You use Checkmate, Captain Adam, Peacemaker, and Danny Chase. In fact, you could kill Danny Chase. Please consider this. And so again, we've got the major crossover coming here. And in the letter that says, uh, the response says, actually, we thought of such a crossover before we even wrote the annual. Well, we won't kill Danny Chase. Marvel likes in the Titans just fine. You see, we killed some people this issue. And before this eight-week event is over, more will fall. Again, I love the Titans at this time. I love Danny. Uh, Danny Chase was kind of an annoying character, but I, again, the new Titans is another book I want to cover at some point, somewhere. I don't know where. Watch for that. But again, it was another great, great story. Uh, but that's going to do it for this month on Task Force X. I've covered those two books. Join us next month when we'll be looking at Checkmate Checkmate, Checkmate 16, and Suicide Squad 28. I don't think I have much more to say on this, so until next time, Squadmates, dismissed.
Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just had crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at HeadSpeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contains follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and HeadSpeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at HeadSpeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to TaskForceX at HeadSpeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at TaskForceX at HeadSpeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at TaskForceX, and also on Google+, you can look for TaskForceX under People Pages. Uh, all titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother. <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yippee!